Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Fixed Income Conversation Corner podcast series here on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. We do have a timely conversation lined up and are fortunate to have with us from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Leslie Falconio, the Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas. Joining us from Double On Capital, glad to welcome back to UBS Market Moves, Jeffrey Sherman, the firm's Deputy Chief Investment Officer. So with that, I know our listeners and their clients will be hearing a wide range of insights spanning monetary policy rates, as well as positioning guidance within the asset class. So with that, Leslie, I'll hand it off to you to lead today's conversation. Thank you, Dan. And, and Jeff, thank you so much. We really are we're looking forward to this conversation. And, you know, the timing um, could not be better, as, you know, and as, as all of us know, that as we have been in fixed income for a number of years, we've been waiting for volatility. And it's just for the, in this past year, I should say, has been one of those be careful what you wish for. But, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on. And I just, I do want to just start with when we, when we think about, you know, the beginning of the year, you know, how the year began. We had everyone, we had all these attractive yields across fixed income. Everyone was talking about carry and, you know, not, and the widening of the opportunity set, which we really hadn't seen in quite some time, particularly after, you know, the large rise in interest rates we saw in 2022. How do you think this sort of might change as the Fed might be moved closer to a, a pause in terms of finally being close to ending the, the, Tightening cycle. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting, Leslie, because if you, if you think back um, of the January rally that we saw, um, it was really driven, I think, on two data points. I mean, there's obviously the fund flows, the calendar year terms. It was a painful year. There's kind of rebalancing and things like that. But when I look at the economic data set, there were two things that really jumped out to me that first week of of January that kind of catalyzed the rally and. That was retail sales disappointed. They were actually negative in December, which is something you don't see very frequently. And what us bond nerds like, you know, all of us look at are things called the ISM service data because we know it, it's a measure of broad-based economic activity through the service uh, sector of the economy, which is the bulk of our economy. And that, those were both very disappointing readings. And I think this was, you know, where a lot of people are talking about a recession in 2022, it was starting to say, oh, here it comes now, right? The, the two backbones, the consumer and, you know, sale, retail as well as, you know, on the services side. And then uh, we had kind of a nice January. All of a sudden, I think some people got whipsawed, right? They bought into the bond market, great rally in, in January. Then all of a sudden, the reversal came back as the, those, both of those data prints, both surprised to the upside now, they're giving you positive readings, and all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, maybe the inflationary environment is, is still here. There's still growth in the economy, and therefore, maybe we're a little too aggressive in pricing kind of uh, the end of the hiking regime. And so, you know, as you think about it, as, as you know, the quarter went on, then all of a sudden, we hit another hiccup uh, in the economy, and this is what we're going to probably call the regional banking crisis, right? Um, and you, we saw that play out. Obviously, FDIC had to step in. There was a lot of challenges, and we kind of got through that. And I, I find it timely today we're sitting here talking about this because, you know, yesterday, the First Republic, you know, was kind of bailed out. It went to receivership. J.P. Morgan bought them. The market was like, everything's great, right? I mean, you think about it, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of had a risk on. 
Yields were up meaningfully. Corporate bonds were, were there's a big issuance calendar. Yields were up. Then all of a sudden today it's like, wait a second, who's next, right? And now Pacific West, you know, it has been under the, the, the kind of crosshairs. It's back again. You got Western Alliance. These are, these are kind of the, the two next two banks that people are focusing on. And so here we are once again, you know, uh, we're sitting here like six weeks removed from kind of the first leg of that banking crisis, and really not much has changed. The only difference is now there's some new ownership. There's more supply of bonds that come out there in, in certain areas of the market as these have to be sold. But in general, what you pointed out, it's still a world of carry. And what we mean when we say carry, there's yield out there. And I, I think what, what investors are saying is that, you know, at least talking to our clients and, and being on the road recently is that, you know, look, fixed income, we want it to be, behave like fixed income. We want it to be a risk offset. But I think a lot of people are getting tired of the volatility. And what we've heard from a lot of clients is that they keep saying, why don't I just buy T-bill? Why don't I just buy the six-month T-bill, the three-month T-bill? Pick your part of the curve. And, you know, to, to investors, I say, look, it has yield. There's nothing wrong with owning that, but you, it still has risk. And to, they, they look at me and they go, oh, you mean the debt ceiling? And I say, no, I don't mean the debt ceiling. It has this thing called reinvestment risk. You may buy that T-bill at 5% today, but what do you do when it matures, right? And so I think – People, you know, they're trying to find ways to dampen the bond volatility, to which I say embrace the volatility. It's not that you have to trade it. You just have to be positioned for it. I think what we've seen here right now coming in this year is that there are very attractive opportunities, and you're starting to see a separation between lower-quality assets and higher-quality assets. And I think if for an fixed income investor today to focus on that higher credit-quality asset is really the place to be focusing. So I don't have the long preamble into that, but oh, we'll, really we'll get there. We'll stuff. get that. It was great, and you know what? The good thing about it is you really set this conversation up because a lot of those things that you mentioned that we're going to we're going to discuss in more detail. But you really hit on some some really important points. But let's just let's just look at tomorrow, for example. I mean, that's why it's so great to have you on today. Is that we know? Listen, we know we have you know the Fed tomorrow. Okay, um, and there's there's really. Two things that I'm curious of your thought. Not only is necessarily and in you know, this, whether it's, it's a 25 in in May or they do a 25 in June, the incremental sort of headwind, quote unquote, if you will, to the consumer or corporate borrowing at this level, right? Whether it's yeah. 25 or 50, is not going to be some large impact. But I am curious, though, in terms of we know there's a lag. That's the first thing. What you're thinking about the second half, and more importantly, do you agree with? the amount of easing that the market is pricing into the second half. And as a, well, you know, as two fixed income people, you obviously, I mean, the market leads, right? The, the, the fixed income market leads the way, right? And yep. whether it might shift, right? But we know it's, it's very forward-looking. So I'm curious as your thoughts as we just head into tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow, you know, look, it's pretty much a done deal. You've got like an 86% chance of a hike, which, you know, historically, whenever the market price is something north of like 65, 70, the, the Fed delivers on it. And remember, they'll deliver on it because they want to deliver on it, right? They still are fighting that inflation front. Um, and so they do hike. Whether or not they hike again from there, I, you know, we've been in the camp that they shouldn't. Um, I doubt they do at this point because, as I mentioned on that preamble, is that this banking problem is going to slow the economy down. 
Now, why does the banking problem slow the economy down is that all of a sudden we have massively tightened credit conditions. You could say, well, that's what the Fed wanted. Well, I, I would have argued that going into this year, we had not even seen the policy leak into the real economy. And the reason for that is that usually when the Fed's hiking, they're trying to slow down credit creation. They're trying to slow that through higher cost of financing and or incentivizing savers to step in and not consume or not borrow and lend out to save their money. And so what happens in, in both of those situations is that you had a corporate uh, bond market that had done massive amount of refinancing over the last few years and didn't really, you know, their, their, their cost of capital is extremely low. Yes, yields are higher, but only if you need to come to market. And so it didn't have the same effects, I would argue, as a traditional hiking cycle because, again, the amount of debt that was refinanced at very low levels, and then we got this very fast rate hike. Same with the consumer. If you think about what they own, you know, their biggest debt burden is, is a home, right, a mortgage. Same kind of concept there. So they weren't really feeling the effects of tighter conditions. Now things have changed. Now why do I say things have changed? The dynamic has not changed with the consumer. The dynamic has not changed with corporate America. But I would argue with this regional crisis, the cost of credit is going up very meaningfully for small and medium enterprise which is the backbone of our economy, right? If you think about Main Street America, small business is where job creation has been, right? But now if these banks have to compete to keep deposits, meaning that their cost of funding, meaning deposit rates need to go up 200, 300, 400 basis points, that has to be passed on on a lending function as well. So that means all of a sudden now, you know, if, if you're going to originate a loan at a regional bank, which – I don't know if any of them are doing today, really, right? Because, again, everybody's worried about their deposit base. But if you are, what's the cost of that loan? It's going to be significantly pricier than it was six, eight, ten weeks ago. And so for that reason, I see this being a credit impulse contraction. Uh, what, what I mean by that, it's a slowdown of credit, the availability. And you see this, like, in the NFIB surveys, right, of small businesses of credit availability. So I'm very concerned with what we've seen over the last, you know, since, you know, uh, Signature Bank and, and Silicon Valley Bank went down, and now with FRC, is that this, these are areas where, you know, FRC probably wasn't as much on the commercial side and small business they were on the wealthy on the mortgage side. But in general, this has ramifications. And if other banks get nervous about deposit flight, they have to increase their deposit rates. And that means that has to be passed on through the, the credit creation process. So I, I, I've gotten much more negative on things. And so ultimately, as you said, does another 25 matter? No, the market's already got the 25 priced in for tomorrow. Let's deliver it. The market says they're not going to give you anything else. Um, and I think part of that is this contraction being felt there. And so, you know, Yell Yellen came out. And she really missed her job at the Fed. She can't stand being in the political gambit of being a treasury. <laughs> right? <laughs> she said, look, I love Janet. She's great. You know, she, she did a great job at the Fed. But the point being is that, you know, she's out there saying, well, maybe this is going to help slow it all down and do, do the Fed's job for them. I'm like, wow, that's pretty perverse to say, right, that you took takes a crisis to get there. So in general, I, I don't think that the, 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 the trajectory of the cuts price in the market will play out. And what I mean and that, by that yeah. is I don't, I don't think they cut 25 
and then they cut 25. When you get a cut, it's going to be 100 or it's going to be 200. It's going to be mired in a problem, and they're going to have to respond uh, meaningfully. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, what I was going to say is, and I do want to get into sort of uh, the more specifics as well in terms of the, when we talk about sort of the, what's happening now with some of these regional banks at twofold. I mean, and, and Jeff, I mean, I'm going to, you know, since people know and our clients know, I mean, I was an advocate, I still am an advocate of, you know, being long, things like agency mortgage-backed securities heading into, you know, 2023, you know, we still like the asset class. We know that even that those higher quality sectors fundamentally you know, are very good, are going through some technical headwinds. And then you have sort of the, the other, and I'm going to sort of, you know, phrase this in, in the higher quality and somewhat, I don't want to say lower quality, but ones that, one that experiencing pockets of vulnerability, if you will, like things like CMBS on the office side. So how do you sort of see, when we think about, you know, the banking and what, what's happening in terms of lending standards, which even prior to this we know was already tightening to begin with, so how do you, how are you sort of playing both that out and what and what do you see in terms of either positioning or points of concern? Yeah, I, I think at this stage in the cycle, you know, uh, again, it's not clear that we're going to have an imminent recession, but it sure looks like the slowdown's there. So what's the playbook? You know, you, you've been in the fixed income markets for a while. You, you know how it is. You want to be up in quality and credit that you're doing. You want to pair that with some of a rate trade, whether it's agency mortgages, which do look very attractive. Um, you know, from our standpoint, we think it's a, a very, very compelling argument to own over treasuries today. That said, I also know there's headwinds. Um, there's some headwinds out there because just with me with bankers, you know, an hour ago here in our office and saying, you know, look, you know, who's going to buy this paper? The FDIC book has to be has to be sold down. BlackRock is trying to sell it. There's going to be a supply. Uh, that coming to the market where banks are not going to be a buyer, right? They all, because everybody knows what's going on there. So I think they're attractive. Uh, I think, you know, again, from a standpoint of agency mortgage, they're some of the cheapest they've been in really since we had the concerns about Fannie and Freddie going out of business back in 08. Uh, that's where spread levels are today on this paper, roughly. And, you know, the thing is, I think it's a structurally wide. That said, that means we have time. We have a little bit of time to build that position, and I think that is the prudent thing to do right now. You, you, you kind of juxtapose that against something like office space. Well, look, if I think about uh, agency mortgages, I know how they're going to behave, right? We know that kind of cycle where we are. We can look at the coupons. We can look at you know how, how it all how it all uh, maps out into prepayments and the like, and you feel very good about that investment. Office space, as you mentioned, in, in commercial real estate, is a whole different ball, ball game. Right? There's going to be some strategic default. There's going to be one-offs. But there's also going to be home runs in that area. And what I mean by home runs is like there's still parts of the U.S. Uh, office space that aren't burdened. Right? Yeah, you probably don't want to be focused here in downtown Los Angeles or you know, San Francisco or Chicago uh, in, the, in like the Loop or Miracle Mile. But there are still areas you know, in the second-tier cities that have been growing that it's going to be okay. So I, I think what you're seeing here is a discrimination across credit right now where at least office, I would argue, is priced for a recession. Now, it may need to widen out a little bit further. Yields may need to go up a little bit more. But, you know, look, if, if you feel very good about your underwriting capabilities, you can easily buy things in the single-A credit space that probably don't take a loss. I mean, they don't take a penny of loss, and they yield like 10 today. 
Why? Because people hate the sector. So I think there is an opportunity in some of that, but I don't want to be making larger and larger bets in there. But by the way, we can buy AAA assets that have very short life in CMBS today. Yes, some of it, it's broad-based. Some of it's not going to all be in the office sector, but it can yield 7% today. And you know what? That's a lot better than that T-bill I talked about. It's going to have a little bit more volatility, right? But I think there is the way of just still making a view on this space, but doing it in the higher quality parts of the market. So, you know, look, I don't think this is a part of the cycle where you should be buying triple C assets in any capacity, whether they're in the high yield or in the corporate bond market, whether in CMBS, whether they're in asset backs, right? No matter what kind of market you're thinking about, I think the right play for this part of the cycle where we are is that because of how tight some of these markets have got, it really makes sense to be in higher quality because if we have some, some instability, we have credit concerns, we know that lower quality stuff is going to be first at risk. And I'm looking at you, bank loan market. You know, look at the triple C bank loan market today. It yields north of 20. Um, yeah. Do you think you're getting 20? Well, you're going to have some hiccups along the way. You're going to have some defaults. But the broad index of triple C paper today in bank loans yields 20 because it has a problem, right? And so, you know, I think it's it, it, well, right you now. I, you, and I have been, you and I have been in this business long enough, you know, if you're yielding 20 when your risk-free rate is three and a half, there's a reason why. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely right. And, and the point is, is that, you know, there's going to be everything I talked about, the benefits in corporate America of what we did in the corporate bond market, it's the antithesis for the low market. They don't have term financing. They're floating. They're susceptible to so far going up with Fed policy here. Their their margins are getting compressed. So it's that part of the cycle where you know look, there's still high quality bank loans that are very attractive. We still use them. We use some derivative things called like CLOs, right, which are repackaging these loans in the higher quality tranches. They look attractive still. So I, I don't think this is where you want a broad based like wholesale credit out there. But, you know, what we've been doing over the last 9 to 12 months is re-sculpting our credit books. It's, you know, when we get rallies, trying to offload some of the kind of more riskier names, the perceived risk there, and move up in quality. We've done that within our high-yield fleet. We've done that within our bank loan areas. We've sold some bank loans. We've sold some CMBS as well. But what we're doing is we still own the credit because they're spread. And the spread, we believe, in general, is you're being compensated for some of these risks. Now, you know, kind of vanilla investigative corporates, they probably don't compensate you enough. But also, you know, look, just talking to our bank loan portfolio manager, he's like, do you really think Microsoft's going to default, right? You know, Microsoft's not going to miss its June payment. The government may, right? And I was like, yeah, that's bull market talk, right? But I said bull market. Uh, but anyway, point being is, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a reason some of these things trade structurally tighter than, than they probably would at a normal point in the cycle, and that's because of how well they, they've kind of improved this quality, and they had their funding locked in. Well, it, and too, and I just want to sort of move on to, the, to when we think about, and one of the things that we're discussing in terms of potentially what could happen in the second half of the year, particularly on the rate side. Listen, we know that the housing market is stabilized, right? We know that our housing market is stabilized. Do you, in your opinion, when you think about adding risk, or excuse me, adding interest rate or adding duration risk, do you think that there are you concerned about at all any type of potential for inflation to reignite 
in the second half of the year, whether it's the ECI that we thought that housing is starting to stabilize and if they do ease as an interest rate sensitive sector, you have HBA going up again. And, you know, are you concerned at all about that? Or would you say, you know what, we really think this is a good time to add interest rate duration risk care, or would you be selective? Um, I'm going to always take the selective <laughs> approach because, uh, but I mean, we've added duration pretty meaningfully over the last nine months or so. And, you know, we've lengthened our portfolios out about a year or so in our duration. And, you know, that, that's a pretty big move for us. And we did it almost exclusively through 10s and 30s. So we were buying the back end of the curve. And um, so the, why do we do that? One, it helped us kind of offset some of the credit risk we had. Um, again, it makes us feel much more comfortable. Uh, we haven't added to duration as of late. The last move was in February at that last close-up. And the reason we haven't added is that we're really near the lows of the range. And so at this stage, we're kind of neutral to the index in terms of duration for, like, intermediate accounts. However, our key rate duration is on. That is, we have a longer duration in our interest rate-sensitive sectors um, than the index was. And our credit is shorter than that and higher. It's not really higher quality in the index because it's an investor-grade index, but it's shorter in terms of what I call spread duration or, or its sensitivity to credit risk out there. And so you put those two things together – we think that balance works. Now, to, to come back on igniting inflation, I, I do think the base effects, as we all know, are going to roll off in the next couple of months. And so you're going to get some of the lowest prints likely of the year, um, probably in that kind of July time frame, June, July time frame. Um, and so from there, it probably accelerates a little bit again. But again, that's just the base effect components kicking in. And so uh, I just don't really see inflation picking up. If so, it's because the economy continues to do well and defies kind of logic at this point. And you, you talk about housing being interest rate sensitive. We talked about affordability. All of us did, right, for the last few years. Interest rates going up. It's going to impact the housing market. And then we get month-over-month month gains last month. You know, that, that's one of those, like, all of us were like, wow. You know, that's how the market is humbling to you, right, because – there's no inventory, right? So this is what's happening. So I don't think it, it, it ignites off this next rally and things, but I, I think you don't really see the inflation rear its ugly head again until we have a recession. And then the question will be, how, what is the propensity for Congress to spend this time? And do they do it on scale like we saw before? They probably don't. But the next problem we have, we're going to have to attack it with money. And so that could be potentially where it excites that again. I know you referenced the ECI, you know, the Employment Cost Index. And, look, I think we've all said this, you know, that it's been hard to find workers for the last few, few years. We're all reticent to let them go. Um, and so I think that that's kind of keeping some pressure there. But as long as people stay employed and people get paid, you don't have a recession, right? That, that's our yeah. economy. Yeah, that, and I and I absolutely agree with that. And also, to you, you said something as well, which which I completely agree with, and we try and set up our portfolio as well here. Is that you know we went through you know you take your yield or your carry at the short end, your, your total return is a little bit further out. Um, and I'm going to sort of ask you something a little bit different now because we haven't discussed it, but we know it was a big issue last year. Sixty forty, right? So when we think about that total return and you know taking on a little bit more interest rate risk as your total return component or the back end. I'm just curious, what are your, what's your thoughts on the correlation, whether or not you think is it is it just going to um, sort of, you know, will it mean revert? Is it going to, you know, reconstruct into something else? How do you how do you think about that in general? 
Yeah, I, I feel I feel like the correlation will come back. It's a, the, the correlation being it offsets kind of the sixty part of it if bad things happen. Like I, I really feel that if bad things happen, the stock market goes down from these levels, right? You know, we're not we're not at, at, at cheap valuation. The market, yes, corporations have done quite well during this earnings season. Mega cap has really driven a lot of the earnings as well. And so ultimately, I think people are saying, okay. We're going to be fine there. And, and, again, the recession, if we have one, would be the thing to drop that. If that happens, rates have meaningful room to, uh, to rally. That is, rates come down, make money in bonds. And so I think that what, what, what changed in 2022 and you know, call it late 21 is that during inflationary period, stocks and bonds are negatively – they're positively correlated both to the downside. Right, because again, you're, you have rates going up because of the inflationary environment. I mean, discount rates are going up. It impacts, uh, and it's real yields that are driving it that drives ultimately uh, equity valuation. And so, I think at this stage, um, it's definitely worth having some of that. I'll call it real duration, not ha- not hiding in investment grade corporate bonds, triple Bs, so they give you more yield, uh, but they do have long duration. But just buying that old-fashioned asset, and so. As I said, we, we still think the agency mortgages look cheap. I'm just a little concerned. It's like we don't have to be in a hurry to buy them. We're going to be calculated. We know there's a massive supply coming of them. We know what the other parts of the book look like from the FDIC, but that we want to buy when it comes to the market. And so I think it, there's, it's going to be a, a process of being able to do that. So in general, I don't think the, the demise of 60-40, I think when we had very low yields and you know, our, our sales team is something I, I really hammered on them with. Is like, look, 60-40 is going to be, be challenged when a low-yield environment. But this isn't low yields again. These are kind of more normalish yields. Yeah, they're probably slightly negative inflation. On a forward-looking basis, you have a positive real yield. And so, in general, I think that it can really work for you to help offset that equity risk. So when we think about, you know, part of that, we talk about, like, some of these equity risks, and we talk about those correlations even within the – the credit market, like a high yield or even a loan, but when when you construct your, the, the portfolio now, because I know you like we talked about higher quality, I know you like that as well. And when we think about how well some of these um, higher credit embedded sectors have done, and we talked about like things like triple C high yield, which did very well, and, and again, that's that's a technical tail, and I think that's yep. quite robust given the supply. So, at yeah. what level? First of all, the, we talk a little bit more about the higher quality, but I have what level in terms of the entry point, do you think that would be compelling for investors to get into? I mean, are you of the ilk that, you know, hypothetically, high yield can go back to that 800 or is IG going to go to 200 again? You know, if in fact, yeah. you know, we do have a recession. And as, as you and I both know, it's not recession, no recession. It's depth and duration. But that's right. Recession. <laughs> that's right. But, yeah. but, and, um, but yeah, how do you, I, how do you sort of see that together? Right. Yeah. 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 I also don't. I don't think we go to a thousand on high yield this time because, again, some of that the leverage is a little bit lower than you typically are. It's a different composition. It's a higher quality asset than it was historically. We're not challenged by energy and these these problematic sectors that were highly levered. And so, I think you you can easily see a seven eight hundred again, uh, which is more commensurate with the recession, right? And you know, I, I think at, at four seventy or where are we today? You know, something like that. It just it doesn't seem like a very compelling opportunity to be loading up on. Um, I'd rather be more calculated. I'd rather own higher quality at this point 
then want to try to add to those positions. And so, um, you know, we have taken some of our bank loans and turned them into high yield uh, allocations for this reason that we like the term financing. Again, even if it spreads wide, maybe it's the belly of the curve is coming down in the yield a little bit. So you don't have as, as big a loss as you would think uh, during that spread widening bout. Uh, but in general, it doesn't make me excited. We're, from what I see in the slowdown, from what I see in the credit contraction that could trickle through Main, Main Street via small and medium enterprise, and if that happens and it slows things down, there's going to be job losses. And those job losses mean the consumer all of a sudden can't spend money at these corporations. And so I think you, I think you want to start circling the wagons on high yield and ask them, probably you want to start in the 600 range, which that's a big gap from here, right? I mean, I understand that, but it's because we can get yields elsewhere in the market that look relatively okay. And, and be, be very comparable. So I'd rather sit out on this last leg of a rally, which, you know, again, a- after last month, the triple C, as you point out, um, you know, some people get lulled back in seeing that. Um, to me, that just looks like that was, that was chasing. There was technical supply in there. So I, I think we get back into the 700-plus range. And to me, that's where you want to start nibbling. Maybe start nibbling in the kind of low to mid sixes, but you don't want to get to that kind of, I call it average or your target, you know, what, what you do through a full cycle allocation until I saw numbers at least start with a 700 on spread. You know, thank you so much. This has been such a really a such a great conversation. I'm so glad and the timing is is really impeccable in terms of everything that's going on in the market. And, and I look forward to having you uh, again at, at, at any point in time. All right. Thanks, Lassie. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.